This is The Guardian. Today, how much could cancer cost you financially? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. As The Guardian's money and consumer editor, Hilary Osborne has written expert advice for more than two decades. Whether it's about managing your household budget, fighting for consumer rights, or simply helping readers understand how the economy directly affects their wallets, it's fair to say Hillary knows a thing or two about making good financial decisions. But when she was diagnosed with breast cancer last year, she thought money would be the last thing on her mind. You think, I'm just going to be sitting at home being ill all the time, and you don't realise that actually even that has got a cost. Breast cancer is the most common in the UK, with over 50,000 new cases every year. And Hillary quickly discovered the illness wasn't just stealing the health of those tens of thousands of women. It was cruelly robbing them of financial security as well. My big concern was my income and whether it was going to continue. There's so many things that you have to buy that you don't realise when you first get a diagnosis. And it does come as a real shock when you realise that the money's going down every month. So that really did make me panic. Research from the cancer charity Macmillan shows that four in five people are, on average, £570 a month worse off as a result of a cancer diagnosis. Many people are facing financial catastrophe. How are patients expected to cope? And what help is out there? From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, understanding the hidden costs of cancer. Hilary, had you had any experience of cancer before your diagnosis? So when I was a child, my mum was ill with breast cancer for a long time. can't really remember a time before she was ill. And then just before I turned 10, she died of breast cancer. So it was something I was very familiar with. But then I suppose I'd probably tried to forget about it since then. And when did you first start feeling unwell and what were the symptoms at the time? This was early in 2022, so I had a pain and after I had my son, I'd had a abscess in my breast, so I had some scar tissue there. I'd been riding my bike a lot and I'm quite a nervous cyclist, so I gripped the handlebars quite tight, so I thought it was a muscular pain. Gave yourself a cycling injury by (laughs) gripping too tight on the handlebars. I thought it was, it sounds daft now, but I'd ignored it. June of that year, 
I suddenly decided one day, I'll just have a poke about. And you found this lump towards your armpit. What did you do next? So I instantly panicked and thought it was cancer. Then I sort of calmed myself down. My partner was at home and I told him and he said, phone the doctor. She had a prod around. She said, because I had this scar tissue, she couldn't tell. But she said, oh, your lymph nodes feel fine. So I don't think it's anything sinister, but I will refer you. And then talk me through that day. So what happened? So I went on my own to the um, hospital. I really didn't feel worried at all at that stage. Mm. And then the man who came in to do the ultrasound said, I'm going to do some biopsies. And I decided by the time I went back, there was something there because it hurt. Mm. So I had come to terms with the idea that something was going to happen. And then you went back to the hospital. Can you tell me about what happened in that next appointment and how you felt? It is quite a blur. I can't remember what order anything came out in, but basically she said, we found breast cancer. There's two types that you have. One was very unaggressive, but then the other one was a grade three, which is very aggressive. All I heard was, you've got breast cancer, I suppose. And then again, she looked directly at me and said, it's not the same as it was then. What happened to your mum isn't going to happen to you. And you must have been terrified. You must have been really scared. But what was running through your mind? Although they were saying to me reassuring things, I just thought I was going to die. I thought that it was too late. When they phoned me up and said they'd booked me in for this and booked me in for that, Instead of reassuring me, that just made me more convinced that they thought it might have spread. I was absolutely panicking. So after more testing and more scans, when did you start your treatment? My first treatment was chemotherapy. When I went to see the oncologist, she said it was going to be 12 weeks of one type and then 12 weeks of another. That's almost half a year. Wow. I couldn't believe it. After the chemotherapy, they said, have this double mastectomy. I'd had some modelling done that suggested that I had a really big chance of the cancer coming back if I didn't have that done. It was a horrible decision to have to make. And then as the day approached for the operation, I did start to get very upset about it. Hilary, so far we've talked about the gruelling aspect, the health care and medical attention one gets, but there was this whole other side that you discovered, which was the impact on your finances and the impact on other women's finances, of course, as well. Like, Can you tell me what that was like to discover that actually I'm not just dealing with one thing here? I panicked what's this mean for money I'm the main earner in my family so what's going to happen to them and at one stage when I thought I was going to die I thought well actually I've got life insurance the mortgage will be paid off but what happens if I'm still alive but I can't work and I'm ill and I'd not got income protection despite having written about it so I had this huge huge fear and this was even before I realised how long the treatment was going to take. I, I just thought, mm. well, what will happen? 
that was really scary. Can you tell me about some of the women you've spoken to since you've been researching the cost of cancer and some of the things that they say they've been going through specifically financially? So I spoke to Stevie. She got her diagnosis in the summer and she hasn't started the treatment yet. Her first stage will be having surgery. Because she is self-employed, she has to contend with much worse than lots of employees do. My financial resilience was pretty poor. The most stressful thing has been figuring out, like, how am I going to pay for stuff when I don't have an income? And how am I going to look after the people that work with me? She's a nail technician, but she runs a salon that other people work in. And she's really struggled with the process of applying for benefits. The first time I applied for employment support allowance, I received a letter three weeks later telling me that you've got to already be off sick when you apply, which is mad because it means you basically already have to be destitute before they'll look at you. I applied again. And then they wrote back to me and said that because I'm a company director, I am entitled to statutory sick pay, which is true, but because I'm the only director and the only worker, my company isn't turning over any money because I'm not working, so I can't pay myself. I was advised by Macmillan that I can also apply for universal credit, but when I went to do that, it said that you can't make an application for universal credit whilst you've got an ESA application in, which again is very confusing. I'm four months into this now, and I'm just finding it so difficult to understand, even with the advice of a charity, like what support is actually available to me. And she's worried because she'll have been having her surgery in the winter, so she'll be at home. And of course, heating bills are phenomenal. I'm so worried about the cost of living. I'm so worried. My flat is a cold flat. Last year, I kept myself warm, largely through sitting underneath heated blankets. I feel like I ought to be able to treat myself to being warm. It's going to cost me a lot more than it did last year, and I was working last year. So, yeah, I'm really, really worried about having this surgery over the winter and having to pay my bills. What other financial hits were the women that you spoke to being most affected by? The biggest one that came out for one of the women I spoke to was transport. I didn't have any savings. I had sick pay from work, universal credit and housing benefit. And then I reached out to various charities who helped me find some financial support. She was diagnosed and treated during COVID, so she had to stay in isolation. So she ended up having to use Ubers and taxis to get in. And once walked to chemo, I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm from an okay financial background, that if I really had absolutely nothing, how would I get to hospital? Would I have to wait four hours for a transport ambulance to come to my house? Would I have to walk every day? into chemo not just that that one time I had to do it lots of people say that they need to buy entire new wardrobes because they don't fit into their clothes anymore another big expense is food people that are coming to stay to look after me I'm going to be you know buying them food and I've had to buy a sofa bed because I don't have anywhere for friends to sleep I've had to buy post-surgery bras 
I'm getting a cleaner that's going to come and clean my house for me while I'm sick. I'm having to spend more money on dog walking than I normally do. And then there's just the day-to-day, like, you know, driving to the hospital, parking, those sorts of things. And then there's things like you get free prescriptions for five years, but you can get lots of mouth ulcers from the chemo as well. And so there'll be times when you just need to go and buy the gel to put on it or you need to buy some iron tablets. So lots of hidden costs. Yeah, and things like hair and wigs as well. I guess no one really talks about that. I mean, cancer itself is so devastating. You don't expect people to be in sort of financial penury, to be in really difficult circumstances. I had a friend the other day who was saying, well, obviously the treatment's free on the NHS, so what other costs are there? It really is a a real issue and the, the cost of living crisis had made it worse. Macmillan, they said in the first half of this year, they had a 25% increase in the number of people phoning them about money worries. There's been some research that 80% of people said it cost them £100 more a month after their diagnosis for all of the things linked with their cancer. And lots of that 80% was spending much, much more than that. Can you tell me about that help for people who are looking for support? What is there out there? The statutory sick pay that people get It's just under £110 a week now. So it's really not a lot to to live on and pay for those extra costs. But on average, how long are women affected once they're diagnosed with breast cancer? Like how long are they expected to be off work? Well, this is another shocking thing about the statutory sick pay is that it lasts for 28 weeks. So just over six months? Yes. And so... When I was told about the chemo alone, that was lasting pretty much that time. And then you've got the other bits that follow up. If you aren't on benefits when you get the diagnosis, but then you think you might be entitled to them, then there are these brilliant charities like Macmillan and Maggie's who have people who can help you apply. There are charities who make grants to people. Macmillan told me that in 2019, they made 12 million worth of grants, but last year they made 20 million because there was they issued them so to much. people going through cancer. Yeah, so you can get, I think it's about 300, 350 pounds. Then you can use that for your transport, you can use it for your clothing. So there is the help out there. Coming up, how many women are struggling with the financial cost of breast cancer? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that 
You need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. So Hilary, what have you learned about the national picture? How many people are simply unable to afford to get this sick? So the figures I was able to find were from the TUC. It said that 57% of people were getting more than the statutory sick pay. They were still receiving their full pay. But around a quarter were just getting the bare minimum. Right. And those jobs where you get that... They tend to be jobs like retail and hospitality, precarious work, you have low incomes. So they're the people who are less equipped to have built up any financial resilience anyway. So people on lower incomes are hit even harder with breast cancer because they're more likely to only get statutory sick pay, and that's for six months. Yeah, that's right. And they're less likely to have managed to build up savings before they start. For lots of people... They will have a little bit of a buffer built in. So even if they haven't got income protection, they will have some savings they can draw on. But if you're in one of those lower paid jobs, you really are getting a double whammy. And especially if, I guess, let's say you're not a high earner, but you're not a terrifically low earner. There's this whole swathe of people in the middle who are just, I guess, expected to cope. And I, I, I think it feels like that when you're going through this, money shouldn't necessarily be part of the equation. When you're facing essentially life and death, it just seems so shocking. And I wonder how you felt when you realised that and what it's like to learn about other people's circumstances and how they're managing. It's been so upsetting talking to people. And the people that I've talked to, they're really struggling and really worrying about how to pay the rent, you know, whether to put the heating on. And it is, it's really shocking to think that they do have to contend with that at the same time as all the other horrible things that are going on when you get this. My worry about finances is as constant as my worry about my health, I would say. The worrying about money element of it doesn't give me the time that I would like to be able to process the diagnosis and process the huge life-changing operation that I'm about to have. I sometimes feel like I'm letting my friends down because they're being so good to me. But because I've got all this other stuff that I'm worrying about, I don't think in the way that I would like about just how grateful I am to them. It sometimes becomes a bit of an afterthought and it makes me feel really guilty. So it definitely adds a level of pressure that I could just do without. And so... 
that probably means that people are wanting to go back to work during their treatment. But how realistic is that? I wasn't as able to as I thought I would have been. So in the summer months, I could have. In the winter, I was going in for my chemo once every three weeks. And the surgeon had said to me, often women found that in the third week they were in a fit state to work. I wasn't in a state where I could have gone in and worked. And, you know, my job involves sitting at a computer and it's not a manual physical job. I certainly could not have done that kind of work. And when I had the mastectomy, they say for the first two weeks, you're not allowed to put your arms above your shoulders. Don't lift anything for four weeks. And when they say don't lift anything, they say, don't lift a full kettle. So we're not right, talking okay. about... Not know. kettlebells, but literally just even a kettle is too much. <laughs> That's it. So that would rule out work for a lot of people. I'm going to try and work. I've been told that I should be able to work after six weeks, all being well, but I won't be able to work very much. So I'm going to work as much as I can. I'll probably just work with my regular clients that I know really well. So I'll have at least a little bit of income coming in in the run up to Christmas. Henry, what would you like to see change in the UK so that cancer patients don't have to worry financially? Well, one of the things that came out of my talk with Stevie, actually, was the feeling that there wasn't anyone except the charities who you could go to to get advice on what you could claim or the ins and outs of the benefit system. And I really think it would be brilliant if there was a central point where people could phone and they could get that information from the government. What about employers? What could they do to make this period easier for their staff? I think the best thing an employer can do is very quickly tell people what they're entitled to. That really helped me, that I was worrying about that. And then actually the next day after I told work, I was it was spelt out what I would get. Some people want to dip into work. And I think that's really important to people. You, When you have a diagnosis, you feel your world's about to diminish and you can feel that everyone's going to forget you and that you're going to become someone who they just go, oh, it's that woman who's got cancer. It can be really important to stay engaged with your workplace and to be told that they're missing you and they're looking forward to you coming back, but with no pressure. And finally, Hilary, what advice would you give to someone who has just been diagnosed with breast cancer? Don't think that you aren't allowed to feel sorry for yourself. Ask for help when you need it. And don't feel that you have to tell people you're okay when you're not. It can feel quite difficult when people ask you and you're used to being cheery Mm. to say, actually, no, I feel really, really bad or I feel really sad. But don't think that everything is going to be miserable because even when you are having the treatment, nice things happen. That was Hilary Osborne, The Guardian's money and consumer editor. My thanks to her and to Stevie Wise and Amelia for talking to us today. To mark Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Hilary has written a piece titled The Secret World of Breast Cancer, 
17 Surprising Things I Wish I'd Known, which you can find at theguardian.com. If you're looking for support or advice, you can contact Macmillan Cancer Care on 0808 808 0000 or find out more through their site at macmillan.org.uk. There's also Maggie's, which Hilary mentioned, which you can find out more about at maggie's.org.uk. And that's it for today. I'm Nasheen Iqbal, and this episode was produced by George McDonough. Sound design is by Solomon King. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>